Well, good morning. You may have saw me running around if you're in here. I couldn't find my microphone up until like a minute ago, but I got it. Good to see you. I think, you, yep, you're, I'm here. Um, for those of you in the room, you, you just experienced it, but let me help you if you're out in the parking lot or online. So, so glad you're here. Something's going on. Like, I'm not trying to be extra spiritual here, but something really is going on. It just felt like the last year was a year of pruning. Boy, was it in my own life, probably in yours too, but it just seems like, right, it's spring and it just seems like all the hard work of pruning is, is producing some fruit, right? And what you're experiencing there is not some just emotional moment. It is the spirit of the living God who's living and active. And I certainly hope you're experiencing it outside in the parking lot. And I certainly hope you're experiencing it in your living room. God is at work, and we're going to give him credit for those things. But there is something going on. And I'll just tell you, I know the something is the Holy Spirit, right? This is... Um, God has, he's going to establish this nation that's going to be his people who's going to try to bring restoration in the world. They're going to mess it up, by the way. Um, the first thing he does is he gives them a grandfather named Abraham. Long before the children are born, they get this grandfather and great-grandfather in Abraham who is Abram. And God said something so crazy to him. He goes, go to the land, I'll show you. Where's that, Lord? Just go to the land, I'll show you, right? And all of a sudden, Abram just packs up and leaves. He doesn't even know where he's going. He doesn't have a compass. He's just going, God's going to show me, right? And so what I certainly hope you're going to experience over the next several weeks and months is us just walking with the Lord. He's going to show us the land that he's called us to. So I don't know where it is. We're on a hike together, guys. We're just going on a hike. And as we go on this hike, let's enjoy the scenery around us and see what's around. I don't know where the hike ends up. That's not because I'm extra spiritual. It's actually because I don't want this to be something we try to manufacture or produce ourselves. We would love to see what the Holy Spirit's up to. Now, if all that sounds really, really weird to you, that's okay. So glad you're here. And it would make sense, particularly if you don't believe in this Jesus thing, not so certain about this Jesus thing, if you just happen to tune in randomly or saw it on Facebook. There is no shame in that. Glad you're with us. And what I just said probably sounds really, really strange. But um, hopefully today and over the next several weeks, we'll um, help you understand what, what we're talking about here. So keep coming. Uh, what you're seeing here and what you're seeing on the stage and that worship is the result of people whose souls have been satisfied. I know it sounds so strange, but it is so real. It's so real. And so please, please join us. And so we're in a new series. It's kind of an old series for the last several months, starting back uh, in the summer. We've been going through a book of the Bible called the Gospel of Luke. So Luke, let me just remind you real quick. He was a doctor turned investigative journalist. So this Roman official who is realizing that the world is broken and he couldn't put his hope in political ideologies or his own influence or his own affluence, right? This is a guy with lots of those things who was saying Caesar is Lord every day. He understood that where he was putting his hope was not a place that can satisfy. And he started hearing murmurs and whispers of this guy named Jesus who showed up and loved people well, cared for them, loved all people well, right? And served people, served people everywhere he went met their needs everywhere they met, poured himself out, and then, even though he's the greatest dude to ever live, the Roman officials and the Jewish religious leaders murdered him. And that'd be a really terrible end of the story if Theophilus started hearing the whispers, right? But that's not where the end of the story starts. That's actually the ignition button for where the story, or end of the story stops. That's where the beginning of the story actually starts. And so Jesus comes back to life, and he does something so radical and uh, giving us, giving his first century disciples and us his power and his authority to go and serve his people and bring his kingdom, kingdom of heaven, is what he talked about 92 times in the Gospels, to earth. And so Theophilus hires Luke to go investigate whether or not that's real. So Luke writes 1,151 verses, right? And 568 of those verses, he literally just quotes Jesus. Well, how does he have Jesus' quotes? He didn't walk with Jesus. Well, he tells us in Luke chapter 1, it's because he went and talked to all the eyewitnesses. He walked with the disciples. In fact, what's so, so beautiful is Luke talks about it in whatever third person, right? The whole gospel of Luke is written in third person. And then he writes a sequel where he captures this movement that I'm going to tell you all about over the next several weeks in the book of Acts, meaning the actions of the first century apostles. And somewhere about two-thirds of the way through, Luke no longer is writing in third person, but first person because he starts using words like I and we. 
Well, what happened? He started investigating this. It tells us he went and got all the eyewitness accounts. He went and read as many of the, the written documents that were around. That had been other gospel or biography stories written by Matthew and Mark or gone and read, read like the, the Roman and Greek and Jewish deeds in the Old Testament Hebrew Bible. And it says he went and listened to all the local oral traditions and accounts from the local pastors and rabbis. So Luke spends years, if not a decade, as a doctor. He leaves his medical practice and as a researcher, and he goes and studies to figure out whether or not we can have certainty of the things that Jesus has taught. And so Luke is going to help us understand what Jesus taught. If you've been with us for a while, what Jesus spent the most time talking about was this thing called the kingdom of God. This is so beautiful because you've heard as you grew up somewhere that if you die, you're going to hell unless you pray some prayer or get your life right, right? You've heard that. Maybe one day you'll see grandma again. That's kind of the story of the church in so many ways and what we're trying to uh, what's been sold to you that one day yeah this is really really bad but one day you'll get to something good as long as you pray some prayer and ask Jesus into your heart and all that was probably confusing for you right but that's not actually what Jesus came to teach now there is a heaven and it will be eternal but guess what it's not something that you get to when you die what Jesus actually taught this is so revolutionary is that this kingdom of God is actually available to you and I today, meaning we get to live in it today. And I'll tell you some ways. Stay till the end. Stay till the very end of ways that you and I can live into the kingdom of God this week and this month, right? And so Luke is going to capture Jesus' words and help us understand what Jesus taught. And what Jesus taught us, we can experience the kingdom of God. And the question is, well, how? And Jesus tells us through faith. Faith, the same way that I put faith in this stool as I sit in it. But faith in Jesus, meaning as we place our trust and our hope in Jesus. We get to experience that. Experience it, right? So, so important to understand faith. Not just faith in any random thing, but faith in Jesus. And what the Bible tells us is faith comes from hearing. And hearing comes from the word of Christ. So today, today, wherever you are, like, we're going to double down on the faith. And what's so interesting in Luke chapter 8, when, as Luke is capturing these stories, he captures one of Jesus' famous parables, which is called the parable of the sower. And then Jesus basically gives these four different illustrations of people who aren't quite ready to hear this word. And he describes the faith that comes from the word of Christ as a seed. Really, really important. Because it starts small. And he describes our hearts as this soil that either can receive this seed or have a divided heart or a hard heart or a heart filled with the muck and mess and mire of this world. But he says, but for those of us who can receive this, what happens, even if you don't quite see it yet, what happens is the kingdom of God literally is planted within you, and it starts to sprout out of you, which is a really important thing to understand. God is always doing something big. He's doing something big right now in the middle of this mess in our world. He's always doing something big. Now, it might seem like it's small, and a lot of times it seems to start that way, but God is always up to something really, really big. So we've just seen Jesus prepare his first century disciples. There's these 12 ragamuffins that he invites into it. And they are broken, messy people like you and I, probably even worse than you and I. Many of them were hated, particularly the tax collectors. The other were fishermen, which were basically ostracized from the church because they, they fished on, on the Sabbath, the synagogue day, and they touched dead things. And you're not allowed to touch dead things and be a part of the synagogue. So he found all these random ragamuffins. And he invites them in and he trains them and the way he trains them is he shows them what it looks like to live in the kingdom of heaven and jesus goes and he teaches it teaches it and brings healing to people makes dead people live lame people walk blind people see and then finally he he does something so so strange he he actually tells his people that he's going to give us his power and last week we saw that he finally implants his power into his people and we talked about this word transference which the way i want you to see it is like a water hose or a conduit right that god is pouring out his power through his people out into this world and so it makes sense you go well, i don't feel that power well the important thing about you is we think about a, a conduit it has got to be open at both ends and it's got to the, the drains got to be claw, uh, cleaned right they can't be clogged and so one of the things we got to understand is the way that jesus does his greatest work is when we have these wide open pieces of pipe and conduit where we're going god would you fill us not so it'd just be for us but that it would be poured out and so we see this in the first century and I would argue we're in a time where I think Jesus is doing the same thing in his people. Hear me. He wants to give you his power and authority. You may not believe it, but it doesn't make it not true. He wants to give you his power. He wants to give you his authority. But not just so you can bask in it, but that, so that you can be conduits of his love and his grace and his mercy to all people. So we go, well, how does that happen? And so we're going to see now as God sends them out and there's going to be this 
ignition switch. So we're back in it. We're in Luke chapter 9, verses 10 through 17. But let me just explain to you where the series is going to go because what we're going to see is we're going to see his disciples lean in and double down. And I would just say, lean in and double down. (laughs) If you don't believe in this stuff, lean in and be curious because I think what you're about to see is a bunch of people going to the land that God is going to show us. You hear me? I'm not making this up. I am not going to feed you lies or silliness. I'm not trying to puff me up. I'm sorry. I can't keep this out of me. This is what God is doing, has been doing in my life for the last 15 months, has been doing in our church's life. So we've got to allow that faucet to open up and allow this to pour through us. And he does this with the first century disciples. But the way he does it is he does it through community. Right? And this is so, so important. What we saw last week is he splits them up in pairs and he sends them out meaning. There's something Jesus tells us in the very beginning through his dad. He says it's not good for mankind or humanity to be alone. And so he's going to send people out in pairs, meaning we've got to be in community. And that's a really, really important part of this whole series. You may have just saw the graphic of that, that pet, that piece of coal, that ember being put back into the fire. And this is pretty interesting. I want to make sure you understand it. That if you ever do, do a campfire, um, at the end of it, right, night, next day, when you're about to be done with your camping, you've got to put out the fire, even if it's in a ring, most of you do it. Some of you are inappropriate and use the bathroom on it. But for most of us, the way that we put out that fire, right, is what you do, and you've probably done this or at least seen it, is you go into the place, you see where all the coals are burning, and you take like a poker or a stick, and you separate them, right? So in other words, you go and you look at the fire, and you, you kind of move it apart, right? Luke, you're done for the day. Uh, move it apart, right? Because what happens when you move it, I'm not sure, oh, there we go, puzzle. What happens when you move it apart, when you separate it, it it, the fire starts to, you know, fizzle out, starts to die, right? Perhaps, perhaps what the last years look like for you as an individual, for our church, for the global church, is there's just been this massive separation. You felt it, I felt it, right? This massive separation. Perhaps what's been happening is the enemy has been going, the way that you stop this is you just separate it. So if that's the case, if that's the case, if that's the way you stop a fire is you take all the pieces and you separate them so they don't get to burn hot together, then perhaps the way the movement actually gets going, and this is what we see with Jesus, is that he actually takes the pieces and he puts them back together so there can be this big, massive burning. And so, we're, so for the next uh, 12 or seven weeks, the invitation is going to be, would you please lean in? Would you be, please be known? Would you get into some community together in this? Because I believe God wants to do something pretty spectacular. And so I've been reading this book and paying attention to this missiologist. That's just, you know, someone who studies mission. Um, his name's Steve Addison. Uh, he uh, is from Australia, really involved in what's called disciple-making movements and helping church movements start. But he thought it made more sense than just to try to make that happen, to go and open up the scriptures and see how big movements start, how big fires start, right? He said to see how those things happen. And uh, so he went and studied the first century, how those things happen. And then he went and studied uh, what happened uh, in like the 1700s here in America and Great Britain with the Wesleyan movement and different revival movements. And he even studied what's happening right now in Asia, in North Africa and South Africa and all sorts of different places where the gospel is just exploding, right? It might seem a little bit lukewarm here in our country, but if you go to Asia, you go to Africa, these movements are nuts. Like, it, it, they are inexplicable, right? They can't explain what's happened except for the Holy Spirit. Especially Whitney studied them, and he identified five different things that every great movement has. So each week we're going to talk about one of these things as we open up the scriptures. But let me just catch you up to speed on what all five of them are. And little by little, we'll cover them over the next several weeks. The first one he said is that all great movements, by the way, these aren't just Christian movements. We see them as Christian movements. What we want to do is get in the middle of this movement. Uh, They all have a white hot faith, meaning there was some kind of movement where the switch flipped on. And all of a sudden they go, Jesus is Lord where all of a sudden that faucet gets cut on and there is a moment that they have this supernatural experience with the living God. And I'm not talking about just goosebumps, right? I'm talking about all of a sudden what seemed closed, their eyes revealed, all of a sudden they came to a realization that maybe God is really real and that he would meet them where, uh, um, meet them where they were, right? And so where their limits met God's limitlessness, right? Where their limitations 
uh, came to collide with God's salvation. And so they all have this thing. And one of the problems with this thing, and we're going to look at these tensions each and every week, is there's two different pieces to having white hot, heart, white hot faith. One is it has to start, right? There's this starting piece. But the problem is, is uh, many of us get consumed by, we need that moment again. We need that, like, that emotional moment. But the reality is, is not, those moments don't happen all the time throughout the scriptures. They're not all mountaintop experiences. Ask it to the 12 disciples who followed Jesus to their death. It wasn't all these supernatural, miraculous moments. Some of it was leaning in in the hard moments. And so there's this, this tension we have to manage between how does this start and how is it sustained, right? Really, really important. Uh, Tony Campolo writes a book called Adventures in Missing the Point. And in it, he talks about uh, this imaginary moment where uh, there's this big marathon, right? And all these people come out to watch the marathon, and they're bringing their chairs and their lawn chairs, and they're sitting on their front porch because it's going to run through, like, this, this town. And he said that everybody gets there, and, you know, they've worked really hard and made lots of stuff happen. And so everybody gets there to have like to celebrate and see this big race, okay? So they're all there. They're in those really short shorts, tank tops, whatever, and they're ready to run. And so everybody's lined up. Some are in that, like, three-point position even. And they're ready, ready to go, right? The ones going to be really good. And he says, imagine that moment. All the crowd's there, and, you know, they shoot the gun or whatever it is up in the air to start it. And all these people take one step across the, the, the starting line, and they all start celebrating, going, yay, yay, we're race runners. And they're chest bumping and doing that thing where they jump up, which you shouldn't do in football. You'll tear your ACL and, and get really excited. And all the crowd's going, woohoo, we saw some race runners. He's going, how silly would that be, right? That's not what you celebrate. You don't celebrate that first step. You celebrate that 26.2 miles and that moment where they cross the finish line was so interesting in the church particularly in fundamental churches where we have the every head bowed every eye closed which is going to happen at the end of the service by the way and we ask people to 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 consider inviting jesus into their life and then people pray that prayer go god jesus i get it this white hot, hot faith that starts and we celebrate that like crazy but that is not the finish line guys that's just where it all begins that is just the starting point and so there's this part of starting it but then sustaining it over the next several weeks we're going to see that, there, that there's this real commitment to a cause and there's this interesting piece where you have to glorify God and enjoy him forever we have work to do there is a duty but it comes out of this deep desire to please and worship God so we're going to look at that next week and then the following week we get to see the transfiguration so beautiful where Jesus invites people in to see him in all of his glory and we got to realize that part of these contagious relationships we have, right? It is about contagious relationships. And some of this is deep intimacy with one another, supporting each other, encouraging one another daily so that no one becomes hardened by sin's deceitfulness, right? There's this private, small group atmosphere where you are known. You can share your story. And yet, 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 we got to guard against the exclusivity of that. So there's this tension between how do we have relationships that are private and we can share all of our stuff with, and yet, how do we make it public where everybody's invited in? So look at that. And then number four, really, really neat, is this rapid mobilization that happened in the first century and happens right now in China where this movement is just going. It's just going. You can't stop it. By the way, I want you to think about this for a second. Many of you, if you were in a class at all or a session at all, while back, you'll know the answer. Right now in China, it's illegal to be a Christian, right? They're so committed to a cause, to their death. It is exploding. And you want, I want you to think about the demographic, the age, and the gender of the average pastor, church planner in China right now in 2021. I just want you to think about it. Just get a gender. It's female, so you can go, I'm going to beat you there. And, uh, and think about an age. Then whatever age you got, go ahead and subtract probably a decade. The average pastor, the average person moving the gospel into these things with this red-hot, all-in faith is an 18-year-old girl. You and I know more Bible, or at least have access to more Bible than that little girl has, and yet there's something that's happened where they have this freedom to go and bring the kingdom of heaven to earth and invite people into it. So there's this freedom, and yet there's this directional focus of going, every man, woman, and child, right? They all deserve to hear the claims that Jesus made and make some decisions about the certainty that he offered, right? There's this rapid mobilization, and finally, love this, just adaptive methods. Thomas Jefferson says it this way in some form or fashion, it matters a method flow like a river. It matters a message stand like a rock, right? They held their traditions, 
and they hold their thing so loosely, but they hold the message of the gospel so tightly, right? They do whatever's necessary by any means possible, do whatever it takes short of sin to go and bring the good news to people. So we're just going to see that happen. So for the next five weeks, we're going to walk through those. And then we're going to have a week six and a seven to do some review and do some prep. And each week, hopefully, there'll be a little homework. I'll have some for you today, but you've got to stay until the very end of the service to hear it. So that is what is going on. Here's the big idea. That was a lot of stuff to kind of set up, but here's the big idea for the week. I want you to get this. This is what we're going to talk about today. And here, here it is. The big idea is we see God has no limit when we experience our limits. We, exceed, we see God is limitless, right? We see God has no limits when we experience our limits. And this is what's really neat. At the collision of our limitations is where we find God's salvation, right? It's in our limitation that we find God's salvation. So what we've kind of looked at and saw is we've seen this gospel start being presented, this kingdom of God start to happen. And the way that it played out was this. They heard about it which is what we're doing today. And then they're starting to think. That's the repentance piece. And then they're starting to speak about it, right? They start thinking this, and they start to declare that, what we're doing right now, right? And all of a sudden, as these declarations are made, it doesn't, for many of us, probably doesn't make sense, but this is how we see it happen in the gospel, is the kingdom of God starts to actually be brought about. And the moments that most people begin this hot faith that we're going to look at today, there's two moments, right? There's two things that usually bring it up. Either tension or transition. Right? Tension by that, I mean, when you really do experience the limits in your life, right? It's in those moments where all of a sudden, when you know that you can't provide for yourself, it's in those moments that you finally turn your eyes towards God. It's in tension. Or for a lot of us, it's in, in transition. Maybe a good transition is marriage, new babies, or bad transitions, death and divorce, right? But in those things, we kind of see our limits, and in those moments, we acknowledge our limits and go, either this will not work out or we need a God to intervene. And so we understand the scriptures that God, through Jesus, is making everything sad in our lives. All those tensions and all those transitions come untrue. He's healing, mending our broken world. And so Jesus continues. He just has sent out the 12, and now he's going to bring them back in. So come on in, come back in, guys. And so they just went out. What we find out later is that this 12 now has turned into 72. Pretty neat little group. These two go out and invite people in, and then they bring them back, and Jesus meets them, and we find out that they're exhausted. This is not like a weekend trip. They went with lots of limits. They couldn't take money. They couldn't take food. They couldn't take extra clothes. And they went hungry and needy with lots of limits. And in that, they saw a God who was limitless. So Luke 9, verse 10, here's what it says. On the return, the apostles told them all they had done. Jesus, you gave us your power. We opened up the faucet, and you're not going to believe what happened. Oh, no, I, I believe it, right? All that had done, and he took them and withdrew. He took them, and he withdrew apart to a town called Bethsaida. So they were in Capernaum little fishing village. This is kind of the home at this point of Peter, Andrew, James, and John. They're all fishermen, and they're living in this little little tiny town, less than 200 people, and this becomes kind of home base for them. But so they keep being sent out, and this kind of comes back for about the first two and a half years, maybe almost three years. This is where Jesus spends most of his time. This is home base. And then he's going to transition that for the last, like, you know, months of his life to a little town called Bethany, closer to Jerusalem. So they, this is in the, this little, this you know, this region called Galilee, pretty far from the, the city life and from the educated. And so Jesus is meeting with these folks and sending them out, and now they come back. And he recognizes they're tired, so he decides to withdraw and take them to this place called Bethsaida. It's about three to five miles away. So it's like heading down to uh, Oxford, up to West Grove, whatever that is. I mean, this is a fairly short journey. Again, they don't have cars, so he takes them there. And what's interesting about this place is this is actually the hometown, it tells us in the scriptures, of Peter and Andrew. And maybe James and John, right? And so this is weird because they don't live in Capernaum, but they used, used to live in Bethsaida. Just trivia, not really that important. What most scholars believe is they actually moved from Bethsaida, which is a part of a, of a, different, um, a different region called Galatinitis or Galatinitis. I don't, I mean, I just want to say it fast because I don't know exactly how to pronounce it. And so uh, that's where they would have lived. And they would have lived underneath a different sign of Herod the Great. This would have been Herod Philip. Right, and so in order to, if if they were to catch fish and, in Capernaum, good seaside, and bring it back, they would have gotten taxed twice, two different, two different brothers. Now, what's interesting? This is Herod Philip and Herod Antipas. Those are two brothers. Herod Antipas is over Galilee. Now, Herod Philip was married to this lady named Salome, who happened to be his niece, and also Herod Antipas is or Herod the Tetrarch's niece. And Herod the Tetrarch steals his 
a brother's wife who's also his niece, niece and becomes married to her and there's all sorts of complications this is where John the Baptist calls out he gets beheaded by Salome's daughter and Herod Philip's daughter so this is a whole Jerry Springer show right here so they just go three miles away a little bit quiet town and they're going to rest there verse 11 when the crowds learned it they followed him oh, wow Jesus is there we're gonna go there we hear that he makes lame people walk blind people see dead people live let's go do that we're, let's go see what he can do for us right let's go meet him they followed him and watch this and he that's Jesus even though he's tired even though he took three disciples to withdraw welcomed them gladly invited them in and spoke to them what did he speak to them on the kingdom of God why because first did they hear about it right and so he's starting to speak to this kingdom of God well he didn't just speak the kingdom of God what else does he do and he cured those who who had need of healing how does he do that how does he do curing he speaks it so not so these people are coming and he invites them in and he starts teaching them about this kingdom of God and hoping that this word of Christ going out of his mouth will become this faith in them that will plant a seed and it will start to grow right this is just just over and over again this is what Jesus does to start his movement so you see those happen and he cured those who had a need of healing now the day began to wear away, and, 12, and the twelve came and said to him, Send the crowd away to go into the surrounding villages and countryside to find lodging and get provisions, for we are here in a desolate place. That word desolate literally means without options. They don't have any options. It's desolate. That means there are massive limitations put on them. So these guys, remember, they're tired. They're exhausted. They just came from this crazy journey. They had this high adrenaline rush, saw God do some neat things. They come, and they're tired, and Jesus takes them to withdraw, to spend some time with them, and all these guys interrupt. So I don't know if they've eaten yet. I have no idea what's going on, but they come back, and Jesus is talking and talking and talking. Y'all don't know what that's like to be hungry and hear someone talk and talk and talk and talk. And so they, Jesus keeps talking he didn't have a clock ticking in the back of the room right like they just kept talking and talking and talking so finally i don't know i don't know if they drew a committee i don't know if there's a team but finally the disciples get together they probably appoint one of them probably peter to go talk to jesus and they're gonna this guy this fisherman is going to go tell jesus what to do right so he goes up and he goes hey jesus um really really funny because I, I doubt now I'm reading into this this is what the scriptures say but I doubt that these guys really care much about those people in the room at this point they're probably just hungry but it sounds bad to go we're hungry can we leave right so they do this they go hey Jesus um these, these guys are hungry we probably should send them away get something to eat I mean we really care about them we, so could we just kind of wrap it up can we sing the last hymn I mean you can do three or four you know verses do that last one of just as I am three times if you need to I don't care but can we just wrap this up and be finished those jokes are a lot funnier in the south and baptist churches but it's just what it is thanks rain for laughing yeah and so so it is just how that so they're going hey how do we get him to know like we got to stop this and so watch this is so funny they go to him they talk to him watch what Jesus says this is so funny but he said to them you give them something to eat right if you care so much about them why don't you feed them you want me just to send them out? how about you just take care of them they're going oh watch this what it says uh, they said we have no more than five loaves we have no more than five loaves of and two fish unless we are to go and buy food for all these people so we don't know this from this we know it from john chapter six that uh uh, they find Andrew finds this little boy who's offered his five loaves and two fish that's some limitations right to go feed all these people so Jesus says hey you feed them and they're going this is what we got Jesus this is it I mean this is it there's no way this is going to feed all those people and the next verse tells us why that five fit loaves and two fish aren't going to feed the people for verse 14 there were about 5,000 pretty important to make sure you understand this you probably know this but just to make sure you do um they're just counting here right that is not inclusive language that men means men there what they're doing counting households so there's about five thousand households here right and so let's just say the average family had a wife and two kids it's actually probably a little bit above that then or well above that but just for simple math right that's twenty thousand people twenty thousand people now this is this is crazy that twenty thousand people would show up at this place that is desolate right there's just this eagerness right these folks have already met their limits they've already have their limitations they're going there's got to be something best in this roman regime there's got to be something better than herod philip or herod the teacher or antipas right there's got to be something better than that this is our life so they are they are craving it right so what creates that craving oppression what creates oppression power from the top being forced down 
right? So we can look at whatever's going on in our world, all the way around the world, and go, God is up to something, and he is helping us see our limitations. So these people are having their limitations. So they come to Jesus, and the guys go, they're hungry, and Jesus goes, you feed them. And they go, we don't have anything. So first, these guys have all sorts of limitations, these folks coming to Jesus. And now these disciples are pressed with these limitations. Five loaves, two fish. And Jesus tells them to feed them. And this is what he says. So neat. Jesus is, you know, a great, you know, discipling leader and directional leader. He actually organizes it, verse 14. Uh, and he said to the disciples, have them sit down in groups of about 50 each. Now think about that. That is 100 different groups of a household, right? 100 groups that these 12 guys are now having to assemble. There is no bullhorn. There is no sound system. Like, this is complicated and messy, and it doesn't happen in three minutes. This is hard work for these guys. Their voice is gone by the end of this, right? Because they're having to talk to all these groups. You might recognize I'm a little hoarse right now, and frankly, I will be through the end of June. I'm coaching a little eighth grade and under basketball team on Saturdays and Sundays for tournaments, and they're in these big gyms with lots of games, so I'm screaming only nice things for sure. If I, if I say anything bad, I whisper it to the ref, right? And so I only scream nice things, but my voice, just, just get used to this hoarseness because that's just what it's going to be for the next three months. And that's just talking to, uh, you know, five boys out on the court just at most 50 feet, 75 feet away from me. And so these guys are trying to do this. This is hard work trying to get them all joined together. And so Jesus tells them to go sit them down in groups of 50. I don't know if they do the can't. Head counts one, two, three, four, five, six, you know, that kind of thing. And go, number one, go over here. Number two, go over there. I don't know how this works. It's just more complicated than just reading the scriptures. You go, oh, that's simple, right? So Jesus is now creating a system for all of them to have their needs met. In other words, he's going, hey, I want them all in. I want them all in. So let's give them some community in this, right? And so he, he divides them up, and they did so, verse 15, and had them all it down then they played two rounds of duck duck goose and then they're about to feed them so this is what it says next verse 16 and taking the five loaves and two fish he looked up to heaven and said a blessing over them five loaves two fish right he takes them which means these are tiny he's got them all in his hands right he takes them watch this then he broke the loaves and gave them to the disciples to set before the crowd. Guys, this is so important and so easy to miss, so I want you just to see it, right? I want you to see how this happens. This is how multiplication happens, right? This is just how it happens, and a lot of people will take this passage and use it to talk about money. That's not my objective today, but, you know, this is how you get blessings. This is how you get a better return, all those things, but I do want you to see this. Here's how it plays out. First, whatever it is, is blessed. Got it? It's blessed. Jesus takes the little bit the very little limits. He could have done it with nothing, but boy, does he want to show us something about this little boy's faith and his willingness to give up what's his, right? And so he gives it to him. And so he takes it and blesses it first. Blesses it. Now what happens next? It's then broken. <laughs> it's literally broken. You know, you know another time where Jesus blesses something and breaks it? That's right. So if you grew up in the, the Catholic faith, faith is a Eucharist, Right? or the communion, or the Lord's Supper. Jesus' Last Supper, he takes it, he blesses it, and then he breaks it. There's something here about breaking bread. Now, think about this. And then the next thing he does is he hands it to the disciples. Has it multiplied yet? No, it can't yet, right? He literally takes the five loaves and breaks them, and then the two fish, and he gives those to the disciples. So the disciples go, hey, Jesus, we've got to feed them. And so now Jesus hands them a piece of bread, or half a piece of bread now. And he goes, you want me to feed all them? That's 200 people, Jesus. Look what you gave me. You gave me a, some fish scales and a biscuit, half a biscuit, a third of a biscuit. This isn't even like a, this isn't even like a kid's combo meal from Captain D's, right? This is, this is nothing, right? And so first he blesses it. Really, really important. They give it to him. He blesses it. Then it's broken. And then, then, then watch this. Then it's given. Then it's given. Right there. We take our limits. We bring them to Jesus, and we ask him to bless them. And we have to be comfortable when he breaks them. And we have to ask him to pour out those things that he's given us, even if it seems so little. You know, they're about to take this little bitty piece of bread, and they're about to start distributing it. What do you think happens as they start to distribute it? What do you think happens? Well, we know all of them are fed. They're all going to get fed in this, right? And so uh, they all get fed. In fact, verse 17, it says it this way. And they all ate... And were satisfied. And what was left over was picked up. Twelve baskets of broken pieces. So, 
He takes it. We give it to him. The little boy gives it to him. The disciples give it to him. He blesses it. Then it's broken up. And then where it seems like there's no way that it can feed the people, that little bitty bread and those fish, not only feed the people, it says they were satisfied. Man, they were complete. And they were whole. And not only did he feed all the people and they were satisfied, there was actually 12 baskets left over. I don't know why he left 12. I, I, I'll point to it in just a second. I don't know what he's going to do with that 12. There's 12 disciples. So maybe they're all doggy bags. They all get to take home their own, their own bag and go, look what Jesus made us today, wifey. There you go. No dinner for you. I haven't been here for a month and a half, but I got you some bread and fish, right? Well, I don't know what this is, but he takes it. And what we see here is these folks, these disciples, they met their limits. And in those moments, they offered the very little they had. Jesus blessed those things, broke it, and then it was distributed. And out of nothing and out of little came a lot, right? And so why does he do it this way, right? Why would he do that in our life? Why would he do that with the way we trust God with our finances? Why would he do that with the way we trust God with our time or with our resources? Why would he do it this way? It's really simple, guys. Because God wants all the credit for all the good. God wants all the credit for all the good. You see, you can't save people. You cannot bring them salvation. When folks hit their limitations, you can't offer them salvation. Only God can. So he wants to make sure those disciples don't get the credit for this. He wants to make sure that he gets all the credit. Why? Because he wants everybody's attention. He wants everybody's affection. He wants everybody to know that he alone is God. And so one of the things we got to guard against, really, really important for those of you who believe, right? We got to be gracious and kind. And we got to continue to give. And out of the God's blessing in our life, as we give, I promise you, more will show up. This is the principle of multiplication. You want things to multiply. You give it to God and let him bless it. Then you allow him to break it. Then you start to distribute it. And I promise you, you'll always have more than you need. It's just how it works in the scriptures. And many of us go, no, I don't trust that. And I'm like, that's why you'll never experience it. So I double dog dare you just to try it. Try it with your money. Try it with your time. Try it with those things that are left over in your attic. Go, God, can I just give this to you? Would you multiply this, right? And so what happens over and over again is God allows us to meet our limits. Because when we, our limits collide with God, we realize that his affections, his love, his care, they are limitless. And so that's what we see happen here. And they have so much left over. And so some of this is, hey, guys, for those of you who are Christian, we've got to lean all the way in. You've got to lean all the way in. Right? Jesus says it this way. Let your light so shine before men. That little bitty limits that you have, that little bit of time you have to serve, that little bit of clothing or food or resources you have, let that be light into our world. Let your light shine before men so that people can see what your good work. But because it's out of your limits and God's limitless power, right? They can see your good work. And what do they do? They glorify their Father in heaven. There is something about us giving it to God, allowing him to bless it and break it and give it back to us. And boy, has this been a year of breaking. And they'll just go and offer what we have, even if it seems like less than it was a year ago. Those disciples started with five fish, or five loaves and two fish. One of them was holding that. Andrew was probably holding that. And then Jesus breaks it and he gives it back to him. And he's got, wait, I got one twelfth what I had before. Even if it seems like less after God has blessed it and broke it, it is plenty if we'll just trust God with it. So we see them offer that, and we see at the end that they were all satisfied. Circle that word. We will come back to it. But why is it 12? Really, really interesting because we have the 12 disciples, right? There's 12 guys that most, most scholars will say that is, is indicative of the 12 tribes of Israel, right? And Jacob's uh, uh, 12 sons, that's Abraham's great-grandsons. The 12 of them become this great nation. No, they mess it up right? But God came to make his people through a nation, through Abram. He said that I'm going to bless you, and you're going to be the father of many nations. So we see this 12, and then we see it get run amok, just a mess. They put their hope in kings and laws and judges and all sorts of things, and everything goes bad. And so many believe these 12 disciples are kind of a picture of God making everything sad, untrue, or mending the broken world of the nation of Israel for all of his people to be blessed, right? So there's that. So it points to that. We just read just recently, if you've been with us, about a woman with a blood disorder for 12 years and a girl who was 12 who died. So we're going, ah, our antennae should be up. What does 12 mean? Now, for the Hebrews, 12 is the number of uh, completion and restoration. So when we see that word satisfied, that's what you can see when you hear them talk about the number 12 for the Hebrews. It means everything is whole and complete. 
Now, there's a different number. It's seven. It means perfection, right? That's the perfect number. That's why we have seven colors in our rainbow, right, of the color spectrum. That's why we have seven days of the week. That's why you have seven notes on a scale, scale, whatever that is, right? And, and music. That's just how, so there's this number of perfections. So you got the number of completion and restoration and the number of perfection. It's like, oh, those are really neat numbers, but does it really mean those things? Well, here's what's really interesting. This isn't the only time Jesus feeds lots of people. There's another one where he feeds the multitudes, and it's the 4,000. And so it happens in Mark chapter 8. I believe Luke would have read, right? And Mark would have been one of them that walked with Jesus. And so in in, uh, Mark chapter 8, or walked with the people who walked with Jesus, in Mark chapter 8, he tells the story of Jesus feeding the 4,000. Well, what's interesting is he just feeds 4,000. And right after that, the disciples, because they had this great moment, emotion, and then they have white-hot faith where it started, but then they kind of go, eh, I don't know what this is anymore, right? Like, they all of a sudden, they forget that God is limitless and that they have limits, right? So they forget all those things. Let me just read it to you. It's so funny. Mark chapter 8, verse 17. All right, Mark chapter 8, verse 14. Now, they had forgotten to bring bread. <laughs> so funny. They literally had seven baskets left over from the feeding of the 4,000. That's what it tells us. They had seven baskets this time, and they forgot to bring bread. So they're now with the disciples, uh, with Jesus, and they're going, oh, no, we forgot the doggy bags. What do we do? We forgot to bring bread. They're worried about being hungry. They just saw Jesus feed 4,000 men plus their wives and children, 16,000 people, right? And now all of a sudden they're going, oh, we forgot to bring bread. Now they had forgotten to bring bread, and they had only one loaf with them in the boat. And Peter had a big appetite, right? And they're like, how are we going to feed all these people? And he cautioned them, <laughs> saying, watch out, beware the leaven, of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod. Okay, so that leaven is actually going, watch out for the virus. Got it? Like the, you, we, we know about viruses, I think, at this point. Watch out, it creeps in small, but boy, can it wreak some harm and damage. When he talks about the leaven of the Pharisees and the leaven of Herod, we're seeing two very important things. Watch out about the viruses that come with religion that tells you it's all about your performance, tells you that it's all up to you, that you have to do everything right. Watch out for that virus. And, by the way, watch out of the virus of Herod. In other words, Religion can't save you, but guess what else can't save you? Government. Watch out for those things. Watch out when you start clinging to and hoping to your performance and those policies as the things that will save you and provide for you. So he says, watch out for those things. Beware of those things. They're going, what? We're talking about bread. We want to know about, you know, you're talking about these weird things. Verse 16, and they began discussing with one another the fact that they had no bread. So Jesus goes, hey, you got to watch out for these things. They're going, uh, we don't have any bread. He's talking about something, but he mentions leaven, which has to do with bread. <laughs> we don't have any bread, right? So watch this. And Jesus, aware of this, of course he's aware of this, said to them, why are you discussing the fact that you have no bread? Why do you keep talking about your limits? Like, that's the problem. Do you not perceive or understand? Do you not understand what's playing out here? Are your hearts hardened? Do you not understand that it's good to meet your limits? Do you not understand where you see the most might and power is when you're at the most broken spot where God can come through? Do you not see that it's when you finally hit that spot where there's nothing else you can do to fix the problem? Boy, do I know that moment, right? And it's in those moments. Do you not see that's where I'm at work? Have your heart's been hardened? Have you already convinced yourself it's up to you again, right? God did this miraculous thing in our life, and then we go, we got it from here, God. God, God, if you'd give me that job. God, 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 if you would allow me to be married. God, God, if you'd give me those kids. And then you go, got it from here, God. Don't really need you again, right? And he goes, have your heart been hardened? Having eyes do you not see? Having ears do you not hear? And do you not remember? Like this, you, you keep needing these moments. Do you not remember what it's like to lean in and just be fully alive and sustained by me? Watch this, verse 19. When I broke the five loaves, remember that? We just read about it. You should remember it. Uh, how many baskets full of broken pieces did you take up? How many? How many? How many? Right? They said to him, 12. Aha! There's that number. Remember, it's restoration. Do you understand that I'm bringing restoration in the middle of your limits? <laughs> Watch this. Verse 20. And the seven. Just now. Remember, that was just this morning. Right? Just last night. Whatever it is. And uh, then the, the seven for the 4,000. How many baskets of broken pot pieces did you take up? And they said, seven. You see, this is what God is going. Look, am I not the one who restores? Am I not the one who's perfect? Am I not the one who, look, I've, I've even given you the things. I've showed you where your limits match, or meet my limitlessness, your limitations. Meet my salvation. Do you not remember, do you not see that I bring restoration, that I bring wholeness, that I bring completeness, that number seven, I bring perfection? Do you not understand that it's actually in these moments where that happened? You only have one loaf of bread. Praise God. That means you're about to see a miracle, right? And that's what, and, they, and he says this, and he said to them, do you not yet understand? You know, you got to understand. Hey, disciples, I've split you up and sent you out in pairs with nothing. What happened when you had nothing? You had everything you needed in me. 
I broke the bread. And you had these little bitty tiny fragments and you went to feed the people. What happened when you didn't have enough? You had everything you needed in me. Hey, I did it again. I mean, did it twice. And you keep coming at this. What happens when you don't have enough? You give it back to God. You're asking him to break it, whatever those little bitty things. You're asking him to bless it and break it. And then you offer it back to the world in whatever way he has it. That's why we got to learn from our brokenness and our pain. We got to take our marriage troubles and bring them to God and ask him to bless them and do whatever breaking needs to happen to let the light in. And then we have to go and offer that hope to the world, right? For many of you, if you struggle with finances, we got to go, we got to trust God there. And we got to ask him to bless it and break us. And then we got to be more generous. Then we got to go offer that to the world, right? There is something about when our limits meet God, we discover that he has no limits. Because do you not understand? You see, the way that this whole movement starts, it starts with nothing, nothing, blessed by God, broken by God, given by God equals everything, right? But the only way you will ever discover this is if you actually do when did the disciples realize that they had enough food? Only as they were giving it out. Only as they were giving it out. They were blessed, they were broken, and they poured themselves out. They put themselves in a spot where God either has to come through or they're in big trouble. And every time that equation where God has to come through or we're in big trouble, God, hear me, always comes through. But what I start us with in the next seven weeks, so I want to go back to that verse 17 as we wrap up. And the bands will come up in just a second and lead us in a song. But remember it says in Luke 9, 17, it says this. And they all ate and were satisfied. That word satisfied means completely whole. Do you understand that's what's available to us? Complete wholeness. Do you understand that? Like right now in your living room, sitting in your car, like that is what is available to you. Well, how does it happen? Well, Jesus tells us he came to claim the kingdom of God and invite you into it. And the way that you get into it is by faith. Faith comes from hearing, and hearing comes from the word of Christ. And Paul tells us this. One of the New Testament writers, two-thirds of the letters come from him. He says in such a beautiful way, if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that Jesus was raised from the dead, it says this, you will be saved, meaning your limits will interact with God's limitlessness. Your limitations will collide with God's salvation. So what I want to do real quick as they come up is just want to give you a second. One, just to pause and think about this, because, I mean, that, that was a lot of words per minute. So. A lot of words per minute. And what I don't want to have happen is we just go right from the lot of words a minute and just to go, okay, now sing a song, right? And so just for a second, I just want you to pause and go, God, where are my limits? Where can I offer these things to you? Where are my limits? What do I give to you? What can you bless, God? What can I wholly give back to you? What can you bless? And God, what can you break in me so that it can be divided up and given? God, what is those things? And it's different for each of us. Time, money, resources. I don't know what it is. I want to give you a second. Now, for many of you, the very next step is finally finding that satisfaction as a small seed in your heart. So in just a second, after you get a little bit of time with God, not long, I want to break you in and see if God wants your limitations to meet a salvation this morning. So I'll give you just a second just to pause and reflect before I, I, I interrupt. So while you're still in that kind of posture of reflection, considering um, some of you just pray on your own, talk to God, but for some of you, this is brand new news. This is just brand new news that Jesus loved you so much that he actually stepped on this planet, offered him his life. He literally, he took his body and allowed it to be crushed for you, right? Given for you. And so for many of you, probably it's really the first time to go, boy, have I had some limits, and boy, I like for God's 
salvation to meet me and my limitations. And so it's really so crazy how simple this thing is, and our world is so complex, but the God of the universe is not in terms of the way that he offers himself to us. It doesn't make sense, but it's such a great offering. And really, it's just what Paul told us in the New Testament. Two things. You believe in your heart, Jesus raised you from the dead, or raised him from the dead, and you confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord. He's boss. That you give your stuff over to him. And so I just want to give you some words to say right now in your head that you in the room. I'm not gonna make you do anything afterwards, none of the kinds of things, just you and God in this moment, right here in the room, out in the parking lot, right in your living room. And just want to challenge you with this to go. Would you tell God right the second? You can just talk to him in your head. You just tell him about your limits. Boy, and you might want to confess those, uh, you know, very specific. My marriage is a mess. My finances are a mess. My employment is a mess. My family is a mess. God, confess your limits. And then I double-dog dare you to actually confess your role in those limits. Maybe it's time to tell him about your sin. That's what that is. Where you found, tried to find hope in that thing, that bottle, that screen, right? Whatever that is. Or that person. Or in your own self. Just go, God, I, I just acknowledge that I have messed this up. That I have missed the mark. That I've chosen my own path. Tried to have my own plan and it hasn't worked. And I would challenge you to call that what it is. A sin. Meaning missing the mark that God had for you. But then you can say to him right now, but Jesus, I don't want to do that anymore. I don't want to be in charge. I want you to be in charge. And you can ask him to be Lord, boss of your life. So you go, Jesus, would you be Lord? Would you come into me? Would you come into me as that small seed? God, would you allow me to experience the satisfaction of being in the kingdom of God? Would you invite him into that? And then you would just tell him, God, I believe you're capable of that because I believe, I believe the same way Luke believes and those disciples believe. I believe that you were raised from the dead, that you are God. You can just tell him that. And if you do, right, this second, it's so profound. And this moment, what's just happened for you is that seed has been planted in your heart. It might not seem like a big thing, but boy, is it a big thing. It's going to grow into a big thing. And so would you just for a second tell God, thanks. Thanks for meeting your limitations with his, uh, meeting your limitations with his salvation. Tell him thank you for that. And ask him for the courage to walk in this. Ask him for the courage to follow him. Ask him for the eyes to see him at work. It's time, thanks. While you're still in that, I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand or any of those things, but if that's something that just happened for you, you just let us know. Remember, it's all in. It's B and I'm in. It's all of us leaning into the spire together. That's where we burn white hot faith. And so would you just, I mean, personally, you can email me, josh at cfamily.church. You can text us right now to our church number, 610-869-2140. Would you just let us know, please? You can fill out the Connect card, whatever it is. Would you let us know so we can help you get into this kingdom movement? And right this second, for all of us, can we just not allow our hearts to be divided, but allow our hearts to be broken for the things that breaks God, and will we find complete satisfaction? That's what makes sense. We'd sing a song inviting him to help us be satisfied. So the band's going to lead us. And for those of you in the room or out in the parking lot, even in your living room, you're welcome to stand and sing it with us. So would you join us?
check one oh, there you go. You see what happens when people take the gifts that God has given them, surrender them back to him. We just got to experience it. Thank you guys so much for offering your gifts, and you have them too. So we got to figure out what those gifts are. We got to give them to God. We got to ask him to bless us and then uh, break us and whatever is necessary to be give them out. And we actually have some homework for you, okay? Here's what, what it's going to be. That's you here. That's you in the parking lot. And that's you online. So pay careful attention to this. We have out there at least 30, I think 37 sets right now of uh, half a dozen donut coupons from Dunkin' Donuts, okay? Because we see that one of the things that Jesus does is he actually meets the needs of people. He goes and serves them. So what we want you to do if you, wanna, if, we wanna, if you want us to start it for you, we want you to grab a half dozen of those and you can do one of two things. You ready for this? You can go to Dunkin' Donuts and just buy one more. What's six plus one? Seven. Or you can go to Dunkin' Donuts and buy another half dozen. What's six plus six? Twelve. And let's go feed some people. But one request. While we've bought whatever that is, six, uh, you know, 180, uh, 222 donuts, uh, we don't want all those to go out at the same time with Dunkin', right? This one right up here in Jennersville, right next to where the new high school is going to be built, okay? So don't all grab those and get them today. Please don't do that. That would not be kind of us to Dunkin' Donuts. But over the next couple weeks, when you get a moment where you swing by, add one, add six, and then go and love someone. Go take them to them and just go, hey, I just want to give you some donuts and bless you. And I double dog dare you to go, and do you mind if I pray for your business? Do you mind if I pray for you around that counter at 7-Eleven? Do you mind, like I double dog dare you to meet your limits of awkwardness and concern and fear and see what God does in those moments. He is at work. The only problem is we're not with him in that work. I promise the minute you engage, you will see it and you will experience it. And hear me, hear me, hear me. Please hear me. And you will be satisfied. You'll be satisfied. So by one buy a half dozen, whatever it is, grab those out there. If you don't need the coupons, you can buy seven or 12 on your own. You got this. Okay, so I'm going to pray for you, and I'm going to pray that you would have the courage and the faith to go live as someone who wants to bring the kingdom of heaven to earth and live as someone who expects to see the kingdom of heaven in our life and in our world. Let's go live that way and come back next week as we keep wrestling through this. We've got to be committed to this cause. You'll hear it next week. So Jesus, I pray that you would bless our people God, we are bringing ourselves to you. And so many, God, this is, this is completely outside of our comfort zone. And so, God, I pray that you would just bless them. And, God, break them in this moment and give them courage from you to, be, to go and give themselves away, to give their resources away, to serve people, God. And Lord, I pray that we would see you at work in this. God, you are always at work. And so when we engage and work alongside you, we see you as more real in our life. So would, you, would we see you this week and this month as we serve you? So God, we thank you for loving us. We thank you that you and you alone satisfy. And so God, would you fill us? When we leave here, whether that's in this room, in our parking lot, or when we transition from our living room out into this world, God, would we, would our cups be filled, filled and would we be satisfied? And I pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. Be blessed. Love you guys and live courageously this week. Thank you.